insight, banter, and comedy? It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, games industry insider insight for everyone. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick, as always, joined by my co-host, Baron Fang, or Jeff. How are you doing today, Jeff? Hey, excellent. So, it's finally the day. We've broached the topic a lot and uh, talked about it a bit, both in article and podcast form, but uh, we finally have someone here to discuss it properly, to discuss analytics. (laughs) And for that, uh, I have John. Not the John I had on before. Different John. (laughs) Plenty of Johns in the world. <laughs> yes, there are many Johns in the world. How are you doing today? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? I'm good. So I think perhaps the best way to start this discussion is it can probably be pretty quick, but an overcap of some of the terms that are used, uh, because we may wind up referring to them a bunch and just getting the definitions out of the way at the beginning would be helpful. So I know there's you know, DAO, Mao, ARP DAO, a few other things. John, would you like to see if we can uh, list out and define any more of these? Well, um, you're talking about, um, now you're talking specifically for games or? Preferably, like, we mostly talk about games here, but okay. uh, there there are other terms that, that, anything that you can think of that would apply, I suppose. Um, you know, my background, so I don't know if you guys knew this, is really um, fintech. This is my first, uh, this is my first experience at a gaming company. So I can more than happy to go over some of my uh, past terms that we've used in um, other sure. industries that would might be interesting. So we had something called a participation rate um, at one company, which was an electronic training company, and it looked at um, if you brought orders to the, into the system. How many of those orders did you match on? How many of those orders did you actually execute on? So, for example, if you brought in 10 orders into the system and you um, executed on five of them, you had a 50% participation rate or execution rate. Um, And that was used to determine how well you were participating in the member trading system. Um, Things like that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we had. We also had match rate. Um, we also had uh, things that looked at, again, how many matches came up, uh, happened on the orders that you brought in, so the quality of your matches, how big they were. Um, I don't think what else. I've never, we've never really dealt with any standard terms in, because every company was different, but it always centered around, you know, I guess it is a version of daily active users and monthly active users, but we went a little bit farther, you know, and it's revenue per user. Uh, but in this instance, it was always about traders, so revenue per trader, match per trader, um, logins per trader. So it, it was kind of it, you could say it kind of like equated to same thing in the gaming world with daily active users, monthly active users, things like that. If that makes sense? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a couple of main points to take from that being. Uh, there's a lot of terms, and the definitions are not always universally uh, uh, agreed upon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Depends on your industry. Mm-hmm. The industries will be different, uh, and even within the industry, I know one thing that I've kind of come 
head on against is, oh, we've got this term that means this, but when you get down into the nitty gritty of how you're defining exactly what you're measuring, you can wind up with radical differences. Well, that's called, that's actually something called one definition of the truth. Um, And that's where, again, you have many people who, you said you may have it defined a certain way, but other people define it another way in their heads. Um, and that's where you really need to come into agreement on what, what the measure means. Um, mm-hmm. That causes a lot of problems. A lot of problems in the when you're dealing with analytics is not the analytic themselves, themselves, but how you define it. Um, that always causes a lot of confusion. And I think you actually probably see that. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Let's let's also just run through a couple of the ones I mentioned, and, and we've said like there's there's DAO daily active users, which would be defined at generally because we just said not all the definitions are going to be universally accepted, but generally is understood to be uh, uh, the amount of unique users you would have inside a day, correct? You are correct, sir. And so uh, obviously monthly active users would be the same thing, but your period would be a month instead of a day. Mm-hmm. And your ARP DAO, that's uh, uh, is that average, average revenue per daily active user. Mm-hmm. So you take up your total revenue that you made in the day divided by how many unique users you've had using it at that time. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, retention rates, which yep. I actually have a question about retention rates sure. uh, because I've most of the testing that I've been involved in doesn't directly involve testing retention rates. It'd be like, okay, if you have any events coming in, then kind of on the back end, it'll calculate a retention rate because if it has something there, you were active. And if it doesn't have anything there, you weren't active. So it doesn't directly reflect the functionality of most anything I've touched. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've heard it described as if you were around on the first day and you were around on the third day, you're day three retained. But what does that mean if you're around on the first day, you aren't around days two, three, four, five, and six, but you do come back on day seven, say you only play on Sundays? That's a very good question. Um, you know, in addition to working in finance, I also I just recently came from the telecom industry where they calculate a retention rate. And, you know, retention rate is in, in an industry where you, let's say, have a customer who's in a contract, right? They're around for a year or so, and after a year, they're gone. And you, you're, so, you know, after, you know, you start year one with, with 10 users and 10 contracts, and, you know, by the end of the year, three people drop their contract, you have a 70% retention rate. It's very easy to calculate. You're looking at a specific time period. But to your point, you could have a user who logs in plays the game on day one, but doesn't come back till day 30 or a month later or 45 days later. So that's still something I'm trying to figure out how you would even calculate that. And that, again, goes to how you would define it, right? And that's something you would look to your uh, the business side to figure out how to define, okay, well, if I log in day one and I don't come back for another two months, is, is, that, is that churn, is that retention? Mm. And churn, of course, being the uh, uh, the users that you lose, a little bit like turnover in a workplace. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the other big one that I know would be the conversion rate, which would be the number, particularly in free to play games, the number of people that you get to come in who pay. 
So the rate of new players who wind up making a purchase and giving you some revenue, mm-hmm. uh, that's your conversion rate. Yeah. Um, and then if you start getting into advertising, then there's uh, impressions, which is uh, the people who wind up seeing the uh, uh, advertisement, like mm-hmm. it gets presented to them, and yeah. click-through rate, the number of people who uh, uh, actually interact with that ad to get through to what it's advertising for, which uh, actually, for those who haven't seen it, some of this you can see on um, Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the little uh, stats for yourself, you can see like impressions, here's how many people have seen your tweet, here's how many people have interacted with your tweet, so... Yeah, that's one of the fun things with Twitter is that it gives you analytics for all your own social media um, presence. I don't know, Jeff, you ever paid much attention to that for your own Twitter? Uh, I remember looking at it like two uh, GUI changes ago and not understanding what it, what it really well and then – I looked at it recently and I understood it even less. So <laughs> I, I, I think the I think probably the answer there is that I shouldn't be using Twitter and I should be using TweetDeck or one of those other ones. Maybe 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 that's why I'm having that problem. But no, it, short answer is no. I've never never really gotten any value out of that. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but uh, yeah, still, when it comes to definitions, there's all kinds of uncertainty. Another thing that that's really rough uh, on analytics, because we've been talking about, oh, it's on this day, it's on that day. Yeah. It can get difficult with just how do you define a day? Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. does a 24-hour start? Uh, partially, it gets more complicated than that. Well, it's interesting because in gaming, your 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 twenty twenty four hours a day, seven you know days a week worldwide. Wherein you know, if when I worked for a, a fintech company with a trading system, you know, you the system was ran from nine thirty to four o'clock when the market closed, and that was the end of your day. So you had a definition of of what your end of the day was. But once we went international, that you know you. You're looking at you start going into time zone. So to your point, it's correct. It's like, how do you define a day? Mm-hmm. I, uh, from what I've seen, uh, by a wide margin, the easiest and simplest solution is to essentially run everything off of uh, UTC. Yeah. Or what other people might know as uh, GMT. Yeah, Greenwich Mean Time. Yeah, uh, that is your definition of a day. Mm-hmm. All server time is judged off of that ba- basically all time stamps are in that uh time zone uh you don't convert you don't do anything it's just like that is your definition of truth for time but there's also the fact that how do you define even even if you understand your time stamps even if you understand when something happened everything happened relative to each other and you're not doing any time zone conversion or any insanity like that because oh my god i gotta link that i got i gotta add this in the in the description there's a uh computer file episode that talks about how god awful uh time zones are to deal with yeah <laughs> it's the, the, the guy uh, he, he, uh, i forget his name but he, he's done a lot of stuff um but you see him describing all of the additional exceptions that happen with time zones, and he's just getting more and more exasperated as more and more exceptions start piling on. 
and he starts to get really flustered when he gets to the point of, um, like, Israel recognizes Daylight Savings Time, but Palestine does not. Oh, Jesus, wow. <laughs> yeah, so you got two two people sharing the same geographical region, and, and they have different clocks, so what do you do? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll have to remember to link that. But um, on top of all of that, there's say you want to be re- you want to measure retention one day later. Okay, does that mean if you started one calendar day and you have another event on the next calendar day, is that you're retained for one day, or does it, is it supposed to be you you wait 24 hours after that first event? Yeah. And if so, what day do you then attribute all of the uh, uh, th- that retention to? Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of weirdness that can happen in there, and there's a whole lot of uncertainty because of all of these strange definitions. Yeah, and again, that's when you have that's where it, it, it helps when you have good data governance, right? When you have good, well-defined definitions of what your data is and what your calculations are. Absolutely, and that is, I I, I would. Wager a guess that pretty much everyone who's gotten as much as ankle deep into uh, trying to maintain their own data and their own analytics would realize is is a very heavy sticking point. Yes, you know, uh, getting data and 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 doing the and and formatting it and doing the analysis is, is really the easiest part it's it's applying you know the logic behind it to those calculations and to those definitions and make sure you're in line with that that's usually always the toughest because somebody's always going to come to you and question well my number says this and your number says that and you can spend a lot of time spinning your wheels trying to prove why the other person's number is wrong but if you have good data governance and good definitions you know that's not going to be a big issue yep and uh yeah it uh... There's a, a lot of weirdness, that can, especially if you're using multiple systems at the same time, if they might have slightly different definitions or slightly different. Oh, yeah, we didn't even get into if you're tracking revenue. Uh, how do you track uh, um, conversion rates from one currency yep. to another? What time is that revenue recorded? You know, what time is the revenue rate applied? What time is the currency exchange rate applied? Because you could have, you know, I just read an article today saying that, well, the conversion rate for, uh, I think, the Apple store is not applied until it's paid out, right? Whereas mm-hmm. it'd be a big difference between the time it was paid out and between the time the transaction was actually recorded in the database. Yeah, and if you're going through a third-party marketplace like uh, the iTunes store, Google Play store, um, it, yeah, how do they apply the conversion rates? How do... Um, uh, how do they present prices? How do they handle the the price changes in the first place? Um, d- and do you have all the information you need to be able to verify that on your own? At some point, you just have to trust them. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's a little weird like that. I mean, if you think about it, if if you're operating through things on iTunes or Google Play, at a certain point, you just have. To, I mean, they they're the ones who sign all the checks on that level. So you just have to take what they say as truth and then hope that everything you're doing outside of that agrees with it. 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's the difficulty, right? Unless you can match your data up one for one, right, for with Apple is telling you, unless you have that detail from Apple's side, you kind of have no choice it's a, it, except to take their word for it, right? And, um, you know, probably kind of really hard to argue with Apple. <laughs> I, I'm sure some have tried. I'm sure they've tried, and, you know, I mean, you know, one day might, somebody might come up and say, hey, you know, um, fight the – fight the good fight and win battle, right? And win the war and get some movement on it. Um, but, you know, right now, until that happens, people are kind of stuck with, with hey, Apple saying, I made 10 bucks. Well, I guess I made 10 bucks. You know, I can't, <laughs> I can't see their data. They're not going to share their data with me to, sh- to show me how they calculated 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you going to make that fight over 10 bucks or? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like you know, pick your battles, right? I mean, if it's ten bucks, you're not you're gonna you're more likely to say, okay, well, it's only ten dollars. But if it's fifty thousand dollars, it's a different story. Yeah. Of course, then you'd have to, of course, prove that something went wrong and blah blah blah, and it's just, yeah. that's that's a whole other like business relationship and and nightmare that would happen. Of course, uh, moving on, one of the other things that people can get worried about with uh, analytics tracking is is uh, privacy concerns. Mm-hmm. And having messed with it a bunch, uh, I can at the same time, I, I, I am of two minds about this because I can understand why people would be concerned on some level. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I would say, one, uh, you are telling these companies all of these things voluntarily. All yep. they're doing is remembering what you said. Mm-hmm. And two, um, having worked with some of the data, uh, at least on uh, uh, in my experience, uh, none of us give a crap about any individuals. <laughs> yeah. Does that ever come up in an EULAs uh, that, that people click through? Like, is there, is there sometimes references to analytic information there that, uh, I mean, not having read one thoroughly myself, I have no idea. <laughs> you just uh, kind of that... answered your own question. I mean, even if you <laughs> probably don't even read it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, there um, is there is on um, Apple devices, they ask you to, if, if you voluntarily want to share some additional information about your use to help hmm. improve systems. And yeah. uh, that um, there are some aspects of their system that will send data anyway, so to some extent I would say that that uh, uh, warning might be actually be a little misleading. Um, mm. But there are some additional business insights you can get from people who have opted in. Like you actively yeah. have to opt in at uh, device setup. I know. I know. Steam has prompted me at different times if if I submit would be willing to submit you know my information for analytics to quote unquote improve the surface the service so yeah. that was an opt in certainly most of the time i say no not because i want to protect my data but because i don't i have bad luck with network health and i don't want any extra data going through <laughs> i mean it shouldn't make a difference the amount of data going through for analytics versus uh, an online game is is minuscule if the uh, data transfer is what's putting you over the top then you you messed up a long time ago. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, the... Um... <laughs> well, I've always found it very interesting how 
easily people will sign their data away without really even giving a thought to it. Mm. You know, it's just like, and then they wonder why, well, how, how do they know exactly what I wanted or exactly where I was? <laughs> you know, and like, well, hmm, I don't know. You gave them all this information and they were able to use it to figure out what you, where you live, where you like to buy, you know, who you are. Um, you know, it, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it, at certain points it makes life easier, but it's kind of scary. It's the whole big brother thing. Yeah. But, uh, as I was saying though, a lot of this is, is stuff you're, it, it's not, at least in my experience, the stuff I've seen, it's mm-hmm. not like, here is this individual person that we can identify at this address uh, who searches for these things or something. It's more along the lines of, here's this string, this 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 tag that mm-hmm. has all of these different data points associated with it. We don't know who it is, but someone is asking for these things, so they might like these things and send them back or, mm-hmm. you know, for, for that sort of Google type system. Um, in, in games, it would be, here is a user. Uh, most of the times you'll have like a username associated with it. Um, but the, it, it's just a whole, like you don't even, for the most part in games, again, in my experience, we don't even care about the individual's information unless we're digging to try to f- solve some particular problem. Sure. Support. Yeah. Uh, well, not even support or, or like say, you know. Um, there, there are things called funnel events where you might be, say someone's going through the tutorial and you see like, okay, they got through this first gate in the tutorial, second gate in the tutorial, third gate in the tutorial. And somehow there's like an error that comes through and then you don't have the last three funnel events in the tutorial for this user. You get alerted to it because the error, and then you look at the user and the user has stuff in game but according to the analytics, they never finished the tutorial. Okay, mm-hmm. something went wrong. <laughs> and you might wind up looking in at something like that. Um, but for the most part in games, you really don't care about that. What you care about is the aggregated data, the the sort yeah. of overall, like what people are doing. So, you know, you're not looking into an individual user's funnel. You're looking at, okay, over everybody's intro funnel, where are they drop? Where are people not going to the next step? Like you go to step four, and then oh, the, the, like only twenty percent of the people go from step four who get to step four get to step five. Okay, somewhere between step four and five, people are losing interest. Why? You know, mm-hmm. and none of that. No one's going to care about the individual users there. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. It's 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 never about the single piece of data, the single data point. It's always how you look at it in aggregate, right? That's where that's where you can see the story being told. It's never just that one user. It's, you know, the hundreds of users. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, only when you look at a lot of users do trends show up. In fact, yep. uh, in early launches, I mean, we, Jeff, we've talked about soft launches before, you know, mm-hmm. limited, limited uh, amounts of users. The, that isn't really used even very much for, uh, gauging performance with the analytics because your the number of users is too small. You don't have a statistically significant sample size. Mm. Uh, that the 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 initial wave of soft launch is more just to make sure that the whole thing doesn't uh, um, uh, like burn down, fall over, and then sink into the swamp. 
so you have to start expanding a bit more before you get anything worthwhile. So on that level, you know, a single user is just useless. Um, so really it's all about, you know, getting as much data into the system as you can, which is why there's the term you, you may have heard called big data. Yep. Yeah. Um, which means, you know, a good analytic system will also it, like there's, I, I want to say reams and reams, but I suppose that's an archaic term these days. Just, you know, <laughs> I don't know Would would. I'm not even sure what the scale of the raw data would be. Would terabytes be right? Or like, is, isn't it petabytes these days? I'm not even sure. Yeah. Millions and millions and millions of events. Yeah. Uh, the system. Carl Sagan level. <laughs> billions and billions. Uh, yeah. It, it, the, and, and the catch is, it's not just that there is this much data. Yeah. But it has to constantly be taking in and processing the data. Like it, it's almost like a heart. It doesn't get time off. Yeah. It um, it has to take in the data constantly. Like if the system that's taking in the data goes down, and you're missing an hour of data, that could be a really, really big problem. Hmm. Uh, and then. You have to constantly be because not it's not just like I don't know it's not th this is going to sound a little dismissive but I'll try to explain it's not like Twitter where it's just you take in the information and put post it up of of course tw yeah. doing that on Twitter has challenges of its own of course but with these systems you're taking in raw data and then you have to format it to enter it into the database and then the database has to you know, handle all of the rights to uh, all of the writing to it, but it all uh, there are other systems that would then have to, you know, extract that information from from the raw database and start, you know, calculating aggregate information. So, um, like every hour, you would have like an hourly report. Like, here's how many people uh, launched the game last hour. Okay, that has to happen every hour, and then you have daily ones that have to happen all the time. Uh, it's it's a really if you think about and and you think about the scope of it, it's a pretty damned intensive process. Mm. Well, the whole data field, if you think about it, is a pretty intensive process because again, it's not just analyzing data. It's like what you just said. It's it's collecting it, processing it, formatting it, right? Mm. So I mean, it's a pretty big, you know, sphere of of, of technology is just data in itself. You know, yeah. when you look at it. Think of all the systems that are out there that process data, present data. Think about all the uh, business intelligence reporting tools like Tableau and Looker and Cognos and business objects and, you know, uh, everything else out in the world. It's just so huge. So to your point, when you miss that hour of data, you know, you're missing an asset, right? And somebody depends on that asset. The business depends on that asset. And if it's not there, again, to your point, there's a big problem. Yeah. And sometimes it might be like, oh, we missed an, an hour of uh, gameplay analysis or something. That may not be a huge problem, but if you're missing an hour of revenue, yep. that, yeah, that's that's bad. That's <laughs> because, I mean, we just talked about how in the end you kind of have to take, say, in mobile you'd have to take Apple and Google at their word. Mm -hmm. Or probably in in uh, PC you would have to take Steam at its word. I don't know. I, I haven't worked with that one, so I don't know exactly how... Uh, detailed 
and, and how open their uh, business information would be with transactions. But just because you have to doesn't mean we don't try to check on everything anyway. Yeah. So it'd be like, oh, we were missing revenue for this hour. And for some reason, we are missing an entire 24th of the revenue we were expecting that day. Yeah. That don't seem right. Yeah. You, would, you wouldn't think that the revenue would just drop off to zero for that hour. That doesn't make any sense. So, got a got a question from the sort of opposite end of the scale, from the billions and billions side of things. Um, is there a and I don't know if there's a science to this or not, but is is there a point at which uh, either a developer or a publisher or an indie, indie reaches the size at which analytics go from becoming optional to criti- critical or is is there a magic sort of point at which you either have to ha- start having analytics or you're just not going to be able to manage the, mm. the game or the organization anymore i don't know if there's a right answer to that but uh whenever <laughs> i hear it, these people talk about this it sa- it sounds like big companies to me but at some point that big company was a smaller company and i, I wonder when this stuff kicks in uh, I think it depends on the business you're in, and you know, let's think about this. When I started at this trading company years ago, we always talked about the term of critical mass, right? Mm, yeah. Critical mass of users of traders, and that's when we knew, okay, we were onto something, and we really started having to mine data. You know, originally, I remember I started off doing product support, and one of my one of my responsibilities was just doing daily and weekly reporting of, you know, how many traders we have logged in, how much money we made, um, you know, what, you know, how, how many orders we had, how many executions were done, real basic numbers. Mm. And then as the, the, the platform started to grow, you started getting more questions around data, like how much is a person logged in for, how many, you know, what's the average time traders logged in, what time does all liquidity come in? So as more and more members came on the system, we started to hit that critical mass. But it was never something like, oh, once we have, you know, 100 members, that's critical mass. Yeah. I, it was, I think it's an intuitive thing. I think when you're looking at the data provided and you start asking additional questions beyond, you know, what was bought or sold or what was executed, I think that's when you start to realize maybe you're hitting critical mass, when you start thinking those additional business questions. Yeah. So the more MBAs you add to a company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, I I would say that there there's a point. It, it it's a gradient. You know, it's it's an increasing apparent need, and the question is, at what point do you you know recognize and start acting on that need? Because if you're really small and and you wouldn't be getting enough information anyway, and maybe you're on a first name basis with all your customers, uh, yeah, just yeah. ask them. Uh, um, but uh, when when you start getting larger, um, uh, for one thing, I mean, if you just have like this magic bullet of a product and it and it just does Gonzo business, then maybe you don't even need it. Uh, although that's probably tempting fate to take that approach these days. Uh, but there's also you know there are some other solutions that are you know. Um, third-party things. You don't have to design your own system entirely from scratch. You can sort of plug in someone else's system that can give you some mm. basic information and have some extended functionality. Uh, and that would be a relatively, relatively straightforward process mm-hmm. um, that that uh, 
may not require as much investment. So, um, like I said, there's a bit of a gradient where you'd be like, okay, here we probably don't need it. Here we're still small. The product's small. Uh, we don't have like other products with other systems in them that we can just simply incorporate into this. This is our first product, so let's say let's use one of these out of the box, you know, third-party solutions. And then you start getting big enough, and maybe at that point you start sort of. Uh, pushing on the boundaries of, of what your third-party solution can do. Or maybe you're happy with a third-party solution. That I'm sure that can happen, too. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it can happen. <laughs> uh, and then you might start looking into uh, designing your own thing from scratch or uh, working with other partners to see if you can find something else that will meet your current needs or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. That's uh, That's my take on it, at least. I've never made one of those business decisions myself, nor do I ever want to. It's usually, I mean, most companies, I mean, I've worked at a few different companies where they've done, they've built their own analytic system and it serves its purpose for for a short time, but then they always have to go out and buy an out of the box um, software to help them analyze their data. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's a pretty expensive thing to develop it in-house as well. Um, sometimes you're better off just going outside and buying a out-of-the-box, uh, you know, solution. Yeah, and uh, because because I mean we've been talking about sort of getting data, but that doesn't even we we haven't even gotten to presenting the data. I mean, John, you mentioned Tableau before, and that's yeah. that's a system that'll okay. You can feed the data into it, and that'll actually present it to you in a, in a in a, a format that isn't a bunch of gibberish. Yeah. Like it'll yeah. actually make a chart out of the data. Yeah. It's it, a lot of people refer to Excel as I'm mean, to Tableau as Excel on steroids. Um, I thought people referred to access as Excel on steroids. <laughs> or is that is is access Excel on steroids with a severe concussion? I I I, I refer to access as I don't refer to access at all. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, uh, I, I've I've seen um there's a, a, a Tumblr that, that is kind of a hoot, uh, DBA Reactions, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of stuff about um, uh, analytics and data management on there, uh, and a lot of times they'll be complaining about, oh, these people are talking about big data demos and it's on an Excel sheet. It's like, no, that's not big enough to be the big data. <laughs> or pe- complaining about people. It's like, I want this exported into an Excel sheet. It's like, no. Ah, it's it's if if you want to kind of uh, have a laugh and try to learn a bit about um, databases and analytics, DBA Reactions Tumblr is is a good place to go. Check that out. Yeah. Well, also again, I mean, those, you know, a thing like Tableau is really built for business users, right? It's not really built for um, the technology side, right? The, the the advantage of Tableau is. It's an intuitive product that if you know how to use Excel, you can figure out how to use Tableau very simply. Um, I think it's a great tool. There's other tools out there, um, but they've done a great job in being able to take data, you know, very quickly, dump it in and do analysis on it. Whereas, you know, if you use something like Cognos for business objects or, you know, something like that, you have to do all this, you know, summary work on it. You have to build packages. You have to develop tables. With Tableau, you can drop some data in an Excel sheet and start analyzing and doing it right away. Mm-hmm. 
I, I have messed some with Tableau, and I don't know if it was the if if it's the um, uh, implementation of what I worked with, but uh, uh, I, I do think Tableau has some really obnoxious user interface uh, <laughs> uh, quirks. Let's put it that way. Stuff like yeah. um, the, if if you have a table that's too big for the window, its scrolling is is like a rocket sled. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't even know how you do that. It, Again, it's it's you know you got to think about the audience that Tableau is really uh, appealing to, and it's kind of like business users, right? So mm-hmm. it's putting the power to analyze data in the the business user's hand. It's not. It's a great technology product, but it's really meant for people who have to analyze data, you know, and they don't want to have to sit there and build pivot tables and and uh, our formulas or really you know kind of like build charts in Excel. And, and for, for that, it's fantastic. Um, but there are people argue out there that, you know, there's much better products in Tableau. I mean, you could do a lot of stuff with the R and Python, which I really don't have any exposure to, but you know, it, it depends on who you are and where you sit in your organization. Mm. <sighs> yeah. And that, and that also in turn kind of goes back to the, the concept of just how much technology is involved in, Remembering what a customer told you. Yeah. I mean, because in the end, that's kind of all it is. Like, you know, customers said, hi, I'm playing right now because don't fool yourself. Uh, if you're playing a, a game that connects to a server, like the server has to know you're there for you to be able to play. So yeah. the act of playing is telling the server that you're there. So you're saying, hi, I played. Anything you do, the server has to know that you did it. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. So there's just this little thing off to the side that just says, oh, you did that. Oh, you did that. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a guest book at, or, or you know, a registry yeah. uh, at an event. So like you came here, you did this, you did this. You know, um, every step of this, the by the very act of using the product or playing the game, you are telling the uh, uh, the system that you're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's just a big system that just records what happened, which, I mean, there, there, there's been points where I've, I've done a little bit of, you know, customer service things myself. And, and uh, there's been people who get so upset if the system won't let them roll back as though you can just control Z on mm-hmm. uh, an individual player's save state, <laughs> like have a complete change log history for all years. I mean, I don't, I don't, when I get off on this, I don't want to be dismissive of people's privacy concerns because I mean, that can get a bit creepy and it can be used in a way that's exploitative, but I, I cannot get over how weird it is to me that people would be too upset about a, service a game a company a system that just remembers what they chose to tell it already in the first place yeah i i i find really really um like vociferous or ardent objections to this strange i mean if 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 you have that big of a problem then don't google things go to DuckDuckGo. <laughs> Um, don't play any online game ever, ever. Uh, hell, you probably shouldn't be using the web at all because, I mean, you know, someone has to know someone, 
someone has to know that someone connected to be able to give you information. Of course. But you have to remember something. At the end of the day, you're dealing with people. Yeah. And people are very, um, you know, that's the word I'm looking for. People are very interesting in what <laughs> they think should happen and actually happens. And, you know, um, so I always, at the end of the day, you're, you're dealing with a human being. <laughs> yeah. That actually, so, sorry, that sort of leads to a question I had that, that I, I don't know if this was something you were going to get to anyway, Nick, but uh, what, what do you do when your user feedback, whether from social media or verbally or whatnot, uh, contradicts or is contradicted by analytic data? <laughs> <laughs> like when something is apparently a problem or something that people want or and then you look at analytics and it, it find, you turn out that's not actually the case or it's a vocal minority or it's not as big a problem as it may appear to be from the loudest squeakiest wheels it's an interesting question i, I don't think there's a, a a solid answer for that because that's going to a uh a disconnect between <clears throat> uh feedback that mm -hmm. is going to how you react to that is going to have to deal with the particulars of that feedback. Um, mm -hmm. Say if it's a game mode that ten percent of your users play, but those ten percent are really high spenders and they complain a lot about yeah. uh, you know certain aspects of it. Uh, are you going to put development time into servicing those that that minority of users that are very valuable? Mm. Or are you going to try to put some effort into keeping the other 90% happy? You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and let's also say that these, uh, the sides of this divide do still interact in meaningful ways. So you can't completely neglect one or the other, you know? Mm. So, I mean, that, that would be a, you know, you could have a whole lot of feedback coming about this, this uh, game mode. And and that's all of the loud feedback you get on on the uh, customer support and uh, um, community side, but on the analytics you can see no, it's a distinct minority of players that are using this. Mm -hmm. But in turn, analytics could say that oh, it's a distinct minority, but they're the most valuable users on the business side, and yeah. that's where you say, I, I say it all the time. It's going to keep coming up. It's a catchphrase. Uh, business got a business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's businesses consuming this data. So they're going to have, you know, they're going to use this in, in, in the way they see fit. So to, you, to your point, Nick, if it's that percent, is that 10 percent of the people who are spending the most money, you can bet they're going to appeal to that 10 percent. Mm -hmm. But again, things can get complicated. Like I said, if, if the rest of the game still has some interaction between that 10 percent and the other 90 percent in a way that is critical for the 10% to use that feature in a meaningful way, uh, so, some form of advanced, I don't know, market interaction or something. Uh, yeah, it, there can be complicating factors there. Yeah. Hmm. But even then, still, I mean, when you, it, I, I, I kind of got, I, I feel like I have to go back to the privacy aspect of this because in the end, uh, for the most part, uh, aside from potentially like your your game account username there's there's nothing there that would identify you as a person like and you might even think like well i put in my financial data like on mobile yeah. first of all generally speaking financial data is kept like 
I, I, I'm sure it, it, it's it's intended to be kept super secure and yes. and and separated and uh, 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 obfuscated inside an action. If if you are in a system that that uh, uh, executes its own financial transactions on mobile, though you also all the financial transactions are done by Apple and by Google, so uh, uh, the games never actually see your financial data. So that mm. that that one is not a part of the games themselves. Uh, so most of what we see is like, okay, there's a username. There's all the stuff associated with your username. We might be able to see what like phone you're using, or if you changed phones along the way, or something like that. <clears throat> because again, if if you're using the system, you're telling it stuff, which includes mm. what device you're using. Because yeah. the device has to identify itself. All this stuff has to happen for the thing to work, and it's just remembering what it is. But I, I'm I'm sorry, I am really beating that dead horse. Um, uh, but in the end, the, the the most unique identifying thing, at least on mobile, like if you look in the uh, settings on your device, there's a, a, an advertising ID, and that is what makes you a unique user in these systems, and you can change that. You can you can just sever yourself from from all of your history, and start fresh, start new. So like you, you I, I don't know exactly how well communicated this is to end users, but if you have privacy concerns, I mean, there's one. You just hit a new one every day, and no one's going to be able to really make sense of what you're doing because, as far as they know, you keep only existing for a day. So also, I've read something very else, something else interesting this, with the airline industry and ticket prices. They say the best thing to do if you want to try to get the lowest ticket prices, you know, digital analytics, you know, look on a Tuesday between whatever time. But also, when you look, when you go back to look at prices again, you should do it under in, incognito browser mode because mm. the websites, the, especially the child sites, remember when you come back and know when you're looking at the same flight over and over again so they're going to adjust the price but if you come back and they have no record they're probably going to present you the lowest price mm. so it, it's it's you know it's pretty interesting on how that personal data is being used and and you know going back to the whole thing about you know you know figuring out who you are and and what you're trying to get to um uh it's it's you know it, it's i guess how you choose to how much data you give them, right? So mm -hmm. our ways around it, like Nick, you just said about with the advertising ID and there are things you can do like go browse incognito and things like that. So there are ways around it, you know, without having to sacrifice the experience of, of using the product, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, th I think that's also a great example to show like I – I say all this stuff saying it's not so big a deal, but there, I, I like I said, there are legitimate concerns there too, and that's an, a perfect example of, oh, you're you're looking at this flight more and more. Well, you must be interested. So, you know, business wise, are you gonna jack up the price to to try to put the screws to them, or are you gonna drop the price to incentivize them, or, you know, there's, uh, of course, you know, airline industry might also just be the more you look at it just means more time's going by and the price is going to go up just because yeah. there's less time until the flight. Yeah. So, but again, if you go incognito mode, uh, you can verify that if, if they're showing you something. Yeah. So life hack. 
Go to yeah. incognito mode to verify what you're seeing on the web. <laughs> that's not a life hack. That's advice. Uh, yeah. Don't say this show never gave you anything worthwhile. <laughs> uh, so, um, I think we've covered this one pretty good for today. Je- unless, uh, Jeff, you have any other questions or I, thoughts you want to go over? I had uh, I had one – well, two two sort of small – I don't know. The, the, we could go on about either of these. I'm just sort of curious from the layman's perspective. Given that you know, gaming is a creative uh, – game development is a creative pursuit. I'm wondering, does uh, art ever clash with analytics behind the scenes? Like, uh, d- does it ever? Um, obviously, analytics are important for the reasons we've been <laughs> we've been talking about. But I I do wonder, do, do the do the creative those creative types ever clash uh, or, or bristle at uh, analytic driven decisions? It's to me, it seems like yeah, that would be natural. It would happen at some point, and you'd have to. You'd have to just accept that there are going to be those tensions naturally in, a, in an organization, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you guys have any uh, personal experience with that or anecdotal experience with it. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a- an- analytics so much, but uh, uh, and I can't quite remember the details um, with uh, Smash Brothers. Um, uh, one of, if not the main guy uh, behind that was... I don't remember what characters were involved in this, but I know one of them was Ness, and I can't remember which side it was on. But um, uh, uh, this guy um, uh, f- fought an, uh, like a guest player, a special guest player, something like that. The, the, a bit of an event or something. Again, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm pretty fuzzy on the details, but... Um, either Ness completely smashed or Ness was completely smashed by the opponent. And, uh, the, um, the guy was so, apparently was rather upset about this and it resulted in the, uh, uh, either Ness or the other character getting massively nerfed. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, it's not, that's more, um, that's less analytics than it is, um, Damn, the word is escaping me. Sample size of one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think when it comes to get some games like that, you might have a vision about I, I want people to be able to use it this way, or I want a character to be you know this powerful or this. I have this image in mind for how this character should be used or this game feature should be used, and the analytics will come in and people are using it in a completely different way. And you're like, damn. Yeah, uh, but I don't have any uh, personal examples or, or uh, anything direct that I can um, expound upon. Hmm. I mean, the I, guess... I can think of when you you talk about like analytics and um, design. You know, I would say more interacting than being opposed is things doing things like A/B testing. Ah, yeah. Uh, you know, so if you think about it, somebody comes up with a design and let's let's see how people react to it. Right. So let's give it let's give the design to uh, one set of users, but not to the other and see what the reaction is. So, I mean, that's a good way to use analytics to verify a, you know, a, a, a design. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we I never think, even yeah. touched on A-B testing. How did I forget that? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other subject in itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a podcast for you. Uh, yeah. I mean, hell, I once was on a system that wasn't A/B testing; it was 
like 16 buckets at the same time. That was that thing was a pain in the ass to update. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think you know it's 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 a case of you have you know you put your left brain user your left brain people and your right brain people right one side thinks more analytically. Yeah. And one side thinks more creatively and they're kind of usually at opposite opposite sides. Like well I, I've got a hunch that you know. Um, you know, a creative person might say, I've got, I've got a hunch, you know, because I designed something this way I like to design. And, you know, I think it's very intuitive. They might think it's intuitive, but an analytic person might just, might sit there and just blow holes in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So even yeah. if they didn't think of that. So it's it's actually a very interesting question. Yeah. And did you have a second question, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm just wondering whether there have ever been any notable or sort of famous industry horror stories of games or, or developers or publishers, etc., sort of being sunk by bad decisions made on the back of analytics or misinterpreting analytics or any any sort of like uh, hor- like yeah, I don't know if horror stories is the right word, but like fa- famous challenger disaster cases of, an- of anal- analytics not being used correctly that ended up really uh, harming a, a project or or a case where they should have been used in, in a way and, and weren't and caused a a stinker, notable failure. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if I can think of anything. Chances are, if there were, it wouldn't be very publicized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's saying not only did we make a bad product, but uh, we managed the product we poorly and it. listened yeah. to what people were doing poorly. So we failed at every level and. <laughs> You don't have to volunteer that information to make yourself look stupid. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I almost want to say there is something that would seem to lean that way, like just kind of not listening to customers and, and kind of being bullheaded with your design decisions, which could have um, perhaps been uh, – uh, the problems could have been blunted or muted by better analytics uh, and uh, um, considering of that data, but I, I, I won't be able to think of anything for a, a while if it, if it's out there. Cool. Unless you happen to be aware of anything, John. I'm not. I mean, you know, there are companies that abuse the analytical systems to try to make profit for themselves, usually financial companies. I mean, there's a lot of... Um, Companies who've used customer data to run proprietary trading desks, and they're no longer in business. <laughs> so, you know, it also gets, you know, I guess it depends on your industry too. Yeah, yeah. Um, where we're we're with games, it's it's more along the lines of a uh, 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 listening to your customers' uh, wants and demands and trying to give them a good experience. I suppose in in the financial world, it would be a bit more of uh, how. Ha- I, I could imagine there there would be a bit more of a how close do you want to toe the line before you, you your appetite for potentially inviting legal trouble starts to, to <laughs> kick in. Yeah. Well, now's the part of the show where we uh, we relate some interesting anecdotes and war stories from our our own histories and and uh, Jeff, I owe you one from last week. Sure. <laughs> Since I never got so I got I got a quick one. Uh, is this, this isn't necessary. This is another one that isn't necessarily a, a, a games industry specific one. But there was one time I was working at a place. I stepped into the elevator, and one of the most surreal things happened. There was someone talking over the intercom 
on the elevator, and we weren't sure what was going on, and we realized eventually that uh, that after a few moments of this that um, it was someone on the phone. <laughs> Somehow a phone call had been patched into the intercom on the elevator. <laughs> and so, so someone was asking for something, and I'm like, um, and they could hear us. There was a microphone that picked us up. I don't know how you tell you this, but this is an elevator. <laughs> what do you mean? You are calling an elevator. I don't know how this is happening. <laughs> it was it was very very weird. Uh, but that 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 was about it. It was, it was just some weird cross up on a switchboard or something. Yeah. I really don't know how that one happened. But uh, okay, John, as the guest, uh, do yeah. you have any interesting war stories you'd like to share with people? Yeah, so this was while I was actually doing working on a help desk, um, doing technologies four years ago. <clears throat> um, a gentleman called me up and said, I'm having problems changing my password. Um, and I said, well, you know, just point your mouse into the uh, text entry box on the screen and, and there should be an option there to, you know, click change password. And we'll, we'll reset it for you. So he's like, oh, well, I'm pointing my mouse to the screen and nothing's happening. I was like, um... Okay, so you, I said, you're sure you're clicking in the box? He goes, yeah, I'm trying to click in the box. So this went on for about 10 minutes. I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come upstairs, and I'll sit with you, and we'll do it together. Um, so I got upstairs. You know, I said, hey, I'm John. I said, you know, I'm here to fix your password problem. And I said, show me exactly what you're doing. He goes, well, you tell me to point the, the mouse at the screen, so I've been doing that. So what he was doing was picking up the mouse and putting it against the screen. Oh, man. <laughs> <sighs> Now, to be fair, this was like in the late 90s. I was working at a big you know, financial company, and it was an older gentleman. Like technology really wasn't what it is today. But mm-hmm. I walked up there, and he was literally putting the mouse to the screen. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like a blonde joke almost. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, how do you know a blonde's been using a computer? There's whiteout all over the screen. <laughs> how do you know a blonde's been using the computer again? There's writing on the whiteout. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's fair for me to say that. I'm blonde, so. <laughs> well. We always suspected, Nick. <laughs> it's not too bright. It's a dark, dirty blonde, so. Uh, all right. Well, that that is probably one of the more striking stories we we we've had here on on Behind the Line Radio. So thank you, John. You come across <laughs> a lot of interesting things working on a help a help desk. I, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I, I I I suppose I compare that when I, when I was on the, doing some customer support on a game that uh, was not taking off. Uh, this is when I got um. I had to I had to face someone who really didn't understand the whole like just because it's free to play doesn't mean you're making millions of dollars every day uh, because he was complaining about us being greedy or something. It's like you don't you're not paying attention to my, your millions of users. I'm like there's like ten thousand. I happen to know how many users we have. Um, mm. You mm. don't know the state of the business. <laughs> so so I suppose there's another quick one for you mm-hmm. and uh, a bit of advice of when you're dealing with someone on customer support uh, I, I and hell we've had this interact this this uh, discussion when when I've had CS people on um, a lot of the times 
um, them, them CS people are giving you the best they can, and they literally do not have access to any better information or tools to be able to help you. They're trying to be nice. Uh, try to be patient with them sometimes. They're, they're often, maybe not always, but often actually giving you the best that they can. Yeah. Even if, even if it's a very politic answer, it's like they, they it's because they don't have anything else to, that they can so, do. Sometimes I, you have to have very thick skin being a CS guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we've joked that uh, you only know you've made it when you get a death threat. <laughs> <sighs> well, uh, thanks, John, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fantastic. Yeah, and uh, thanks as always, Jeff, for, for joining in. No worries. All right, and if there's anything anyone out there would like to see me write about on the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Kinetic Notes. See you all next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs.